You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network. Serving you up quick-hitting news and analysis for Green Bay Packers fans, I'm joined by my friend Gil Martin, and my name is J.J. Leahy. Gil's a writer for thesportsdaily.com and Cheesehead TV, and in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because we're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. The Packers won one at home. They are 1-0 in the playoffs after getting a lovely bye week. They put up 32 points, could have easily been 40, against the L.A. Rams, who only managed 18 points. And they looked really, really dominant doing it. Now, we did get the unfortunate news as we woke up this morning that uh, former Green Bay Packers legend general manager Ted Thompson passed away last night. Everybody at uh, Packers Talk and No Huddle, the whole Packers family, mourning the loss of a very good man who um, really built the Green Bay Packers into the sustainable, successful franchise that they have been. This is a big loss, and our our hearts go out to the uh, Thompson family. We do have a big NFC Championship game coming up. This is a chance for the Packers, all these players who were, many of them drafted by Ted Thompson, to go out and, and win one more for him. Have a chance to go represent their team and their conference in the Super Bowl this year. Want to take a quick look at uh, some of the players that Thompson drafted that are major contributors on this Packers team. You got Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark, Jamal Williams, David Bakhtiari, who will be watching from injured reserve, unfortunately, Corey Lindsley, Mason Crosby, Kevin King, and Dean Lowry. And of course, we cannot forget uh, the big, the biggest, most important pick of, of, of his entire career, and that was Aaron Rodgers. Ted Thompson worked real hard for this team and, and made a huge impact in a lot of people's lives. So, Gil, what do you got? Yeah, you know, sad to hear about his passing, and we knew that he was not in great health. Uh, that's why he had to step down. And, you know, the thing about Thompson, he wasn't flashy. He didn't try to get a lot of media attention, but quietly, efficiently, Uh, got the job done, set this team up as uh, a contender year in and year out, and, uh, you know, did things the right way. And some people were critical of his failure to sign a lot of big-ticket free agents. But then you think about, uh, you know, the the big-ticket free agents that he did sign in addition to everything else. I mean, Charles Woodson, Ryan Pickett, uh, you know, these are guys that really contributed in a big way to the last Packers Super Bowl win. And, you know, you just, Ted Thompson, not flashy, not flamboyant, but classy, efficient, and very, very good at what he did. And anyone who worked closely with him had nothing but good things to say about him. Well, let's look ahead to this Buccaneers game. Gil, after the week six disaster, uh, you and I spent a considerable portion of our next episode breaking down what went wrong in that game. And we were both very much of the same mind that this was not the same thing as last year when we got blown out in the regular season by the 49ers. After the 49ers game last year, midseason, we all took a step back and said, I don't know that 
we can beat the 49ers because they are clearly just a superior dominant team. I'm not sure that we have the ability to rise up this year and and beat them. And when it looked really likely that we were going to face them in the playoffs, I don't think many fans or analysts went into that game expecting uh, a different result. And of course, it was virtually the same game, um, you know, the second time around. The Buccaneers game in week six, that was different. That felt a lot more like the Chargers game from last year, where it was just kind of a, a big implosion by the Packers at every level. And you looked at it and you said, well, special teams was a disaster. Defense was a disaster. Offense was a disaster. We, we didn't give a lot of credit to the Buccaneers after that game, you know, and, and I don't think that we have been very afraid of them coming up, and especially you know, home field advantage, home turf at Lambeau Field. I'm honestly feeling really good about this game. I'm not even sure it's going to be very close. You know, I think if I look back at week six, that game was an anomaly. It was sort of the Murphy's Law game of the year where, you know, the Aaron Rodgers had his worst performance. The offensive line, which played so well all year, had their worst performance. Uh, I, uh, one thing that struck me, uh, looking back at the film, the defense did not play poorly. And you look at the total yardage numbers and Tampa Bay did not march the ball up and down the field efficiently. And the other thing is they picked on Josh Jackson a lot, uh, in that game, no Kevin King, uh, that's certainly going to be different. And yeah, I think, you know, last year we knew San Francisco was the better team on paper and the Packers needed to do something dramatic and big if they were going to pull off the upset. And it wasn't very likely. I think this year, Green Bay on paper is slightly better, not a lot, but slightly better. And I, I think if both teams play their best game, the Packers are most likely going to win. Oh, for sure. And and we had uh, a lot of missing missing players that week. The defense, I, I think, was actually one of the one of the best of the three phases. I, I think the defense outplayed our offense and our special teams for sure. But I'm also looking at the final score. And yeah, they they did have to spend an, an insane amount of time on the field, but they did allow 38 points and none of those were special teams. Some of them were offensive because Aaron Rodgers did throw a pick six. And he did throw and a, the other, a red zone interception. So Right. We turned to the two-yard line one play later, touchdown. So 14 points you give to the offense more than to the defense. But still, you look at the – what was the score at halftime? Was it 10 to 28, I think, we were down? Yeah. yeah. Horrible. I mean, I, that that right there would be a, a tough hole to dig yourself out of. But then on top of that, they, they still didn't hold back the, the Buccaneers' offense very well in the second half either. But but I, I have always credited that loss to the offense for sure. Interestingly, Aaron Rodgers went three and twelve with two interceptions against the Blitz in Week Six. The rest of the season, this is just goes to show you what an anomaly that game was. The rest of the season against the Blitz, he has thrown fifteen touchdowns and only one interception in every other game against the Blitz this season. Yeah, it's it, it really was just like. It was like rolling the dice and rolling a two three times in a row. It it really wasn't a typical performance. And, you know, I could point to a lot of things that the Packers did wrong in that game. And I did write an article uh, this this week. 
uh, on the sportsdaily.com discussing, you know, some of the things the Packers have to do differently this Sunday to avoid what happened in week six. And the game plan was not well conceived and then it wasn't well executed once they got, you know, onto the field. So uh, a lot of things that the Packers should have done differently, could have done differently. And the key to me, how much has Matt LaFleur learned from that poor performance in week six? And I think he has learned a lot. He has he's talked about some of the um, things they're going to be carrying into this week. You know, for example, you heard uh, some of the Buccaneers players uh, like Devin White, who were um, chirping about how uh, the Packers didn't belong. They were not uh, on the Buccaneers level and. And so Matt LaFleur was asked about that. Is this you know a bulletin board quote that you're going to have up there and try and motivate your players with? And he said, uh, not really. I mean, I, I think that our, our players are already motivated enough. They really want to win this one. They want to go to the Super Bowl. They don't need, you know, extra uh, exterior motivation because it all comes from within. And look, the first half of that game was a nightmare, and they never got back on track afterwards. We've seen... Um, everybody at this point has has probably seen the stat that this year, the Packers in this in the second quarter have scored the most points in the second quarter in all of NFL history. Clearly, the, the first half of this game is going to be a big deal. Aaron Rodgers is nine and one in the playoffs when he's leading at halftime. The only loss was the 2014 NFC Championship game uh, at Seattle. Mm hmm. I just I think I think we're looking here at a, a, a case where maybe there is maybe there is some residual um, mental stuff that carries over from the first game. But these two teams are so different, both of them, from where they were at that point. I mean, that was that was three months ago. And I, I just don't think that the Buccaneers are in the same tier as the Packers talent wise. I think they're close. I don't, I, again, I think Green Bay is the better team on paper. Uh, the problem to me is is not whether the Packers are better. It's the way the matchups work. And those fast, talented inside linebackers for Tampa Bay gave the Packers offense all kinds of fits and disrupted their game plan in week six. And uh, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and that offense has to make sure that they devise a smarter game plan don't get away from it as quickly as they did in week six and they have to execute better. But you know, the, this is the game where the matchups bother me the most, but I still think the Packers are the better team. Well, you talked about the Packers, you know, essentially rolling a two every single time. <clears throat> the Buccaneers also had one of their best games ever. You look at, uh, let's just look at the, at the turnover line for a second. Buccaneers had zero turnovers in that game. So we zero penalties, no penalties, zero sacks, zero turnovers. I mean, that is as clean as it comes. And that is also kind of on par for how clean the Packers have been lately. The Packers, that, that that's kind of a, a typical game for the Packers lately. Not to say zero penalties, but very few penalties, no turnovers. Uh, Rogers hardly ever gets sacked this season. I don't, I don't think that the Buccaneers are going to benefit from that kind of luck this this time around. And you look at at, at these turnovers, like I was saying, the, the Packers, looking at the regular season, the Packers have 18 uh, takeaways. The Buccaneers have 25. Both defenses are very good at taking the ball away. 
one of the differences is that the Buccaneers have been consistently good at that all year. And it's only in the second half of the year that the Packers have kind of got that going to, to start the year off. They had hardly any takeaways at all. So looking down the stretch, I think these two defenses are, are very comparable in their ability to make those big plays and get their hands on the ball. Yeah, and Green, Green Bay's defense really over the last six games of the regular season and then in the playoff game against the Rams, they've taken it to a different dimension. And I think Mike Pettin has shown more flexibility in his game planning. I think that Kenny Clark uh, in particular has picked up his game since early December. And so have the two safeties, Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. They have just lifted their games. You got Kevin King back healthy that certainly helped and I think sort of settling in on those inside linebackers where you have Chris Barnes who's been playing very well you change the role for Christian Kirksey you get your Kamal Martin healthy and contributing again and and all of a sudden everybody's role seems to be defined and the defense seems to be performing at a much higher level than it was in the first eight or nine games of the year. Well, for the Packers offensively, pretty clearly a, a couple key factors here that, that the team needs to focus on. First is going to be the offensive line play, and Aaron Rodgers' trust in his offensive line needs to be 180-degree difference from what we saw in Week 6. Uh, Todd Bowles called an extremely blitz-heavy game plan. Rodgers had easily his worst game of the season. You know, we, we looked at, at his numbers already, um, you know, against the blitz versus Tampa versus the rest of the year. You look at, I mean, he has a, what a, uh, passer rating of like 10 or something <laughs> in week six, uh, you know, for, against, against the blitz completion percentage, 25% versus the whole rest of the year, 66% completion percentage, against the blitz on, on all the other teams that they played. This is going to be obviously huge and we don't have Bakhtiari, but I mean, come on. It's not like we haven't played anybody. We played Khalil Mack. We played Aaron Donald. We played, well, the Titans didn't have, don't have any pass rushers, but we, <laughs> you, you look, you look at all the defenses we have gone up against and every single time you go, all right, well, we haven't really played anybody yet. You know, now Khalil Mack is going to wreck Billy Turner or now Aaron Donald is going to wreck Lucas Patrick. It never happens. I mean, we've been waiting for since week six to have another disaster meltdown like that. And Aaron has been kept clean all year. And you look at one of the, the biggest factors in that week six game there was that the offensive line wasn't actually terrible. They made mistakes. But a lot of the issues that we saw, re I mean, you could see it real early in the first quarter. Rodgers had zero faith in his O-line. He was spooked early. He was seeing ghosts all day long. And he was rushing his throws as a result. Terrible. Uh, worst, we we haven't seen a performance like that from Rodgers in, in like five years. Remember the, uh, the Buffalo game? What year was it? 2014? Right. He, he had a game just like that, and... And, uh, you know, so, okay, I, I can live with him having a, a, another game like that six years later. I don't think he's going to have a, a third one in the same year. So Rodgers has to play better. He has to trust his O-line. The O-line needs to hold up there under the bargain. And you talked about those linebackers. This is going to be key because the Packers kept trying to run outside zone. 
you know, part of this was who we were missing. Was it Jamal Williams we were missing for that game? I think it was Jamal. We were missing. Uh, it might have been. Might have been. We were missing Jamal, and and we tried to get AJ Dillon involved, and didn't use him a ton in that game. Well, Jamal did play in the in the first meeting. Jones played too. He was totally shut down. Ten carries for fifteen yards in that game, and even and that was the first time AJ Dillon really carried the ball uh, much. He had five carries in that game for thirty-one yards. But yet you're right about them trying to run outside, and and they couldn't do it throughout the game. And the speed of those linebackers just prevented them from doing it. Now, when they tried to run inside, yes. Jamal broke off a twenty-five-yard run. A.J. Dillon broke off a 20-yard run. Uh, inside, with quick-hitting runs, there was room to be had, but then they sort of abandoned the run altogether, only ran the ball 21 times, and two of those were were scrambles by Rodgers. So uh, they've got to stick to the running game and try to run the ball more inside because you, you can't get wide against a team with quick, agile linebackers like this team had. And the Bucks' defensive line did a great job of preventing Corey Lindsley and Billy Turner and the other Packer offensive linemen from making blocks on the second level. Now, Vita Vea might be playing. Uh, very good defensive tackle. Here's something that we could do if he is, in fact, able to play. Because here's the thing with Vita Vea. He has not played in, like, 10 weeks. Uh, the, the, the guy may be ready to play football, but he's not ready to play a ton of football. He's not he's he's like the kind of in shape that you are, you know, uh, when you come in, into training camp. OK, here's what they could do. Start pounding the rock up the middle with A.J. Dillon, get him to put Vita Vea in and then the Packers can start running a, a quick tempo offense. Start throwing the ball a lot. Don't let Vea get off the field. Make them call a timeout to pull Vea off the field because if you're getting the ball out super quick and and just pass, 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 you got you're essentially playing against uh, ten guys on defense because Vea is just going to be a body that can't do anything in in that situation. Yeah, I, I don't think we see him for more than fifteen, twenty plays tops if he plays at all. I I, I think that. The Bucks will probably put him in in goal line situations, third and short, you know, short yardage, maybe a few base defense formations. But I don't think we're going to see a lot of Vita Vea uh, in obvious passing situations and in in, in plays where, uh, you know, there's a problem uh, if he if he's on the field too much. He's just probably not ready to do more than 15 plays in this game. Yeah. And LaFleur is going to test. Vea early on if he is on there he's he's going to he's he's going to run some of those inside runs get them to put Vea out there and see what Vea can do and and maybe Vea can't hold up uh and and if he can hold up again kind of trap him out there with a, a tempo offense so they can't substitute and they'll when they can take him off the field they're not going to put him back on because they don't want to get burned like that again Right. And then, you know, up tempo would also limit the Bucks' ability to substitute and it would sort of keep them a little bit off balance. And and I think if you go up tempo, you could probably also draw them offside a few more times with the hard count that Rodgers is so good at. You can get one or two key penalties like that. I think that's a, a big help because the one thing that I noticed when reviewing the game film from week six, how the, the Packers average third down distance was 
almost seven yards, third and seven. And that is so atypical of the Packers offense all year. And, you know, if you can come up third and three, third and four, third and two, as opposed to third and seven, third and 11 and all of that, all your play options are on the table. You could throw short. You could try to go long. You could run the football. It really helps keep the Bucks defense honest. And, you know, you talked about the, the first meeting at halftime. It was already 28-10. You don't have to defend the run very much when you're up 28-10. You just haul back and rush the passer and let the chips fall where they may. Green Bay has got to stay out at third and long. Well, here's something else, too, because we keep going back to those linebackers because those two linebackers, Levante David and Devin White, were a massive component of the Buccaneers' ability to shut down our offense in week six. Because of those outside runs, they're extremely fast linebackers, and and you, you just can't run that kind of scheme against that type of player. So how do you negate that? Well, use a lot of motion. Uh, keep using motion. First of all, they, they used it to a lot of success the first time around, but, and, and other, other teams have as well. Notably the, the, uh, the saints who just got whooped by the Buccaneers. They are, they, they use motion. They're one of the teams that use the least amount of motion, pre-snap motion in the league. Hardly ever use jets. Look at Devont, Levante David. His, his biggest asset is his speed. Well, speed isn't going to do any good when, we're all starting from the same spot anyways. Lindsay doesn't need to beat Levante David if they are starting out the same spot anyways because of Levante David having to follow the uh, the, the jet sweep there. Then Lindsay can, can use his advantage, which is his size, to block David. Jamal Williams ripped off, what was it, 25 yards on a, a run that had it was right up the middle with a lot of motion before the snap. Yeah, it changes the whole equation, and and that's what the Packers need to do. They need to have a very different game plan and then execute it well. And I think that if you look at what Matt LaFleur did even last week against the Rams and everyone going into that game was talking about, oh, how tough it'll be. They're talking about Jalen Ramsey and they were talking about Aaron Donald and the Rams had the number one defense in the league. How patient were the Packers last week? They threw the ball short. They ran the ball early and often and effectively. And that set up the 60-yard touchdown run by <laughs> yes. uh, Aaron Jones and set up the bomb to Alan Lazard that was the dagger at the end of that game. So, you know, you, you, you pick your spots and you, you had the long pass to Tunyon right before the half that sets up the field goal. All of these things, you don't have to be throwing long all the time. You just have to pick your spots and get one or two of those big splash plays. But, you know... I would take second and six, second and four, second and five every time because it allows the Packers to run anything on second and third down and really sets up the offense for success. Well, and let's also look at, okay, the the DBs for the Buccaneers. Are you really going to try and tell me that the Buccaneers have better DBs than the Rams did? There's, no. There's, there's no way. There's no, no Nobody in the right mind would, would try and make that case. And look, we we tore them apart. We tore Jalen Ramsey apart, made them look silly, not just with Devontae, but with Al Lazard and, and EQ. Look, the the last time the Buccaneers used a lot of press man coverage. And from what we're hearing, it sounds like they want to do the same thing again this time. OK, well, I just don't know that you I mean, look the 
Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunting. They were drafted to be the type of guys who can play press man. That is what Todd Bowles like to, likes to do. Sean Murphy Bunting, second round pick from 2019. He's been he's been okay. He's allowed over 800 yards and seven touchdowns this year. That's not that's not good. Uh, I I don't. I just yeah, it, it worked last time, but so did everything they tried. I mean, outside of the Packers' first two possessions, what didn't go right for the Buccaneers the first time? Yeah, I mean, they almost it almost makes them a little too confident and a little too comfortable, and the Packers. I think, or be a little bit more determined under the circumstances to try to uh, get things right and corrected. Because, look, you know, the Packers faced the number one defense, number one scoring defense in the league last week, and they gained almost 500 yards and could have had more and more points had the clock not expired at the end of that game. So, uh, you know, this offense, when it's running well, is capable of beating anybody. And I think that they will be determined to take advantage of, of what they're able to do. And, and the other thing is this. I, I think we realize, and I think the Packers realize, that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have too many more bites at this apple. And the fact that he's finally starting uh, an NFC Championship game at Lambeau. He's 37 years old. He may not come back to the NFC Championship game again, or maybe one more time playing at this high a level. This is a huge opportunity for Rodgers and the Packers, and it's one they don't want to let go of. The Buccaneers have, for the last six weeks, won all their games by an average of 15 points. The Packers have won their last seven games by an average of 15 points. So something's got to give. Looking at how we slow down the Buccaneers' offense, we've got a couple things. First of all, Antonio Brown is not practicing with the team this week. Not sure what's going on with him. I'm starting to have some doubts that he's even even going to play. He also has not been phenomenal this year. He's been he's been good, but not. I, I I'm not going to say he scares me more than anybody else we've faced. Also, uh, Gronk had a very good day against us in Week Six. The rest of the year, he is one of the only um, receiving players that Brady has been throwing to, who does not have good completion numbers. Uh, I, I believe his completion percentage is, is um, at or below 50%. For everybody else, it's it's outrageously high. But if we're if you're looking at Gronk and AB not not being these massive threats, Jair is going to be lined up on the side typically uh, that that Scotty Miller likes to line up on. I think we're, we're going to see that a bit, which actually makes me feel good because Scotty Miller is a guy who's been really hurting teams lately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's been very good. You got to account for uh, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. I think I think you're going to see. Um, what Mike, Mike Evans is the really tall guy, right? Yeah, yeah. we're going to see Kevin King on him a lot. The those those two guys are just kind of built to play each other. But my guy that makes me real nervous is Cameron Brait, tight end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, he has been devastating. He's been hurting a lot of teams, and I'm looking at who we have on our roster to account for him uh he's he's a little bit of a mismatch the the Packers have struggled against tight ends for the last couple of years I don't think Cameron Bray is as good as Janu Smith and and we made pretty short work of Janu Smith 
but uh, I, I will say this: if we if we go up against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, I think Cameron Brait might very well be good practice for the Packers in trying to defend um, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, let's not jump the gun, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think there is some truth there. All right, Gil, debate topic for this week. Is this Aaron Rodgers' best season ever? Great question. Close in my mind, but I've got to go with 2011. That was his highest quarterback rating, a 122.5, one point higher than this year. And the big difference, you know, the touchdowns, he had slightly more touchdowns this year, one uh, fewer interception this year, but the difference was yards per attempt, 9.2 back in 2011, only 8.2 this year. And that is because he had so many weapons and was able to complete so many long passes back in 2011. It's close, but that 2011 team scored more points, and I think that Rodgers was just a little bit better back then. He could run better, too, in 2011. He definitely could run better. I'm going to have to say, I think 2020 is the better year. Looking at his, his PFF grade, he had a better PFF grade this year. 94.5 94.5 over 92.9 2011 and his rushing grade went down by just 0.1 points in 2020 over 2011 and here's here's my dagger in 2011 he had every weapon imaginable receiving for him in 2020 i would argue he's taken some guys i mean i don't know if they they really crack anybody else's roster and he's turned them into stars I think in 2020, he is accomplishing slightly better results than he did in 2011 with far fewer weapons. And especially at his age and, and the fact that he's still holding up this this well despite being you know basically an old man now, I got to go with 2020 as, as my answer for the better season. All right. Fair enough. Uh, let, let our listeners know how they can vote. Yeah. Go to Twitter and check us out at Gil Packers or at JJ Leahy. We're both going to pin a poll that you can vote in to the top of our Twitter profiles and you can choose which season do you think was better. And uh, we love doing these polls every week, doing these arguments. This is uh, one of the things we really look forward to on this show. So please vote early and uh, not often, just once, but uh, please vote and let us know how you feel. 2011 Aaron Rodgers or 2020 Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, I have to, uh, I have to announce who won last week's poll. I'm so disappointed about this because I had an early lead. Last week's debate topic was who was the Packers' 2020 defensive MVP. I said Adrian Amos. You said Jair Alexander. And, man, for the first day or two, it was neck and neck, and I was usually a little bit ahead. You pulled ahead to an almost 75% lead over me. So, fans, I I don't know what is wrong with you, you know, clearly voting for the wrong guy, but... Do the right thing this week, okay? <laughs> hey, they voted for Jay Money, man. I, I, I can't, uh, I cannot argue with that. All right, Gil, who's winning this game, and what's your score prediction? This one's going to be close. I think these are the two best teams in the NFC this year, right now, and I think that the Packers being at home will make a difference. It's going down to the wire. I think that right now, Aaron Rodgers really wants this game. Matt LaFleur will have learned from the mistakes in week six. It may go down to the final play. Packers 27, Bucks 23. Ooh, I'm also taking the Bucks to get to 23 points. I think the Packers are going to get 31. 
I'm seeing one field goal, probably in the third quarter, you know, that th- that quarter that just plagues the Packers these past two years. I think Aaron Rodgers throws for two touchdowns. I think Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon both get a touchdown. And uh, maybe, just maybe, there's another touchdown in there toward the end that's just kind of a spite. Just like, hey, you know, you kicked our butts in week six and you didn't deserve it. So here's seven more. It. I love it. Well, look, if either one of us is right, I'll be very, very happy. All right, that does it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter. Again, that's at Gil Packers or at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or ask us questions. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not